on this week's episode of Marketing O'Clock. YouTube's new age-appropriate content strategy brings big changes for little viewers and creators. Local Google ads add new BOPIS pickup later for local inventory ads, but it might not help with Shep's pumpkin empanadas. Throw out your water cooler, you can now share the office drama around the new <laughs> water cooler. LinkedIn stories. We're calling the police, not on Google this time, but on Greg and Mark for their questionable fashion choices. And find out the real reason why this podcast is free. You're the product. Google web creators Justin Jewell has me wanting to join Moms Against Vaping. Oh, on today's show. Marketing O'Clock is your weekly dose of digital marketing news. A proud part of the Search Engine Journal Podcast Network. We record every week from the Cypress North Studios located in beautiful Buffalo, New York. Tune in to our critically acclaimed Famous Friday News Show for insights, updates, rants, and much more as we cover the full gamut of digital marketing for you. If you want to follow along, just check out our show notes or head over to marketingoclock.com for all of the links from today's articles. And please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Hey there, I'm Christine Zernheld. AKA Shep. I'm Mark Saltarelli. And I'm Greg Finn. It's officially Marketing O'Clock. Here on September 25th, 2020. Remember, you can catch our famous Friday news show each and every Friday morning. All your digital marketing news from the week. Powered by the digital marketing community. And if you want to join the conversation, hit us up. We're at Marketing O'Clock everywhere. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Marketing O'Clock. We have Mark here again this week, but you guys know him and love him by now. So what's going on with you guys? What's up in Rochester, Greg? Well, I realized I didn't ever end the bee saga story from a few weeks back where I got stung by bees. I got bees in my shirt trying to remove a tree. The conclusion is some animal pawed its way into the hole and ate all the bees. So just a quick update there. I wouldn't want to see that animal at yeah, this point. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it must be a honey badger or something that got in there. You know what I hope it I'm, was. I know. Some type of vermin. <laughs> Stings in the what stomach. A, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's quite the meal. They must have been pretty full with all of that. <laughs> that is really bad. To say it's got to be an interesting textural experience eating a bee. Well, I think it's the bees. honey they're going after, not the bee. <laughs> but do these uh, have honey? I don't know. Do ground bees or yellow jackets have honey? We'll have to answer that on next week's show. <laughs> we'll get Addie from our stats and research oh, team to look it up for us. But the real thing that's stinging me here in my household is something that I think we've got two good experts in. Shep, you went to FIT, right? You were in like New York City living with Rod Stewart and stuff, right? Yeah. I and Mark, mean, you've got fashion. So, oh, thank you. I do. And, and we can't have this with Jess because Jess's answer would just be like, put more skulls on it. That would be <laughs> our answer for everything. But since COVID, I have a troubling, well, according to my wife, a troubling fashion sense where I wear polyester convertible hiking pants that go from pants to shorts every day. It's terrible. I thought those died in 2005. They're alive in the Finn household. Who and I want to know what you think that? about these. 
I have a Columbia pair. Oh my God, you're standing on your chair. Yep, standing Don't on your chair. Do you wear, do you actually unzip and wear both ways? Um, when I'm hiking, I do. So if I'm hiking and it's hot, I go from pants right to shorts and it's so cool. Okay, no, it's hiking this clothes are not meant to be worn in your everyday life. It's like those bad sandals too. Just say <laughs> no. It's like, it's okay when you're eight. And then after that, you have to wear real <laughs> pants. But they're, so, they're so comfortable. I'm so embarrassed. And I think we should make you standing on the chair of the YouTube thumbnail. <laughs> done. Done. I also uh, can stand on the chair, too, and show my Bryant Garvin. I think I've got the Groove Life belt here. The new, oh my God. The new Groove belt, formerly of uh, Purple Fame. Okay. Well, that was Fashion O'Clock. <laughs> Thanks. So I did good, right? Um. um no. No. You should check out some tapered um, Adidas joggers. Those are the pants to have for home. <laughs> okay, Mark. Well, it's been a while since we heard from you. What's going on over there? So it's funny because I've also had some ideas with um, my fashion choices recently. And I'm trying to be more bold because it's like less people to judge me. Also, I don't really care anyway. So something I've taken on recently is I'm trying to like make fanny packs a thing for myself. And I've decided Wait. that I'm going to be a fanny pack person. You're critiquing me? This is such a fashion show all of a sudden. No. So, I mean, I can go grab them, but I have like a nice Adidas one that's like this like black clear thing that like goes with my tracksuit. And then I have this really cool one from Filet that's like green and purple <laughs> and it's awesome. I went hiking with it. We can add some um, pictures to the YouTube stream. So I love that. <laughs> and then... I've really been back and forth and I'd like to hear some feedback from our fans and followers is <laughs> I've really been thinking about getting a mullet. Oh um, my God. I can't even handle this right now. I want to, we need to have a poll, a Twitter poll at marketing and clock. What is more fashion me and my convertible pants that are like so practical or Mark and his fanny pack with his tracksuit. Who would even cut your hair that way? So I want to get like the modern mullet where it's like you kind of get like a tapered side and like instead of just tapering upwards, it tapers up and to the back. You just made up the term modern mullet. I, Google it. Is that like okay. the Steve Belichick? Like Bill's son? Or is that full mullet? I don't. I've never searched him on Google Images. <laughs> Um, okay, well, before we get into the news, I was just going to say that I think it was last week we played the pumpkin game, and Jess was like, oh, these are all products you'd have in your fridge, and I was like, no, I'm not that pumpkin crazy. Well, this week, I went to Trader Joe's. I did go specifically for the pumpkin pancake mix, and me and my husband, like, separated in the store. We were, you know, grabbing our different things. We go to the checkout. I've got pumpkin, um, biscotti, the pumpkin pancake mix uh pumpkin ravioli i've got all this stuff and i didn't even realize i was doing it when the pumpkin empanadas went across the scanner you should have seen the look on his face <laughs> it's like i heard pumpkin empanadas. that sounds disgusting how were they i haven't had them yet but um run don't walk to the pumpkin spice brioche it's a loaf of bread it's delicious and I do not recommend the apple cider spiced beverage. It's like, it tastes like black licorice. It's disgusting. But definitely the cookies though, right? 
apple cider cookies. The apple cider cookies are very good. So I mean, yeah, that's my Trader I, Joe's review for the week. Okay. And don't forget, guys, if you have a grievance to air or a spicy take to share, anything you want to get off your chest, our phone lines are open. Visit call.marketingoclock.com and leave us a voicemail, and you just might hear your voice on next week's show, and we have a great voicemail to share later. And don't forget, you can see our smiling faces over on YouTube. Catch the full show or just grab the main news in bite-sized bits with our Marketing Clock minis. You'll find it all on the Search Engine Journal channel. That's Search Engine Journal with no spaces. And please share the show. Give us a recommendation to anybody you think would also like this. Maybe those pumpkin aficionados that are also digital marketers out there. It makes this all worthwhile. And getting right into the news here. YouTube is making some changes to how they handle age-restricted content. So basically, they're applying age restrictions to more videos. And if someone wants to watch one of those videos, they're going to have to create an account to confirm that they're over 18. It's going to show up as that black screen with the warning message if they're not logged in. And their policies for what constitutes an age-restricted video is not changing. Like you don't need to relearn any of the rules, but they're going to be using more automation to detect when a video is considered inappropriate. So the things that they called out in this YouTube video with the announcement were sexually suggestive content, news videos with graphic footage, content with excessive vulgar language, <clears throat> Greg, and videos about what? drug use. I bleep myself. Or is heck a bad word? No, heck is not a bad word, but we did have our first bleep on the show a few weeks ago regarding, it was a good reason though, the Google yeah, ad changes. that was fair. Greg had to bleep himself. <laughs> it was really shocking. I'm sorry, the people needed it. The people needed it. I always think about like, I like don't, Greg knows this about me, I don't curse. I really just don't say the F word. And I always think about, like, there's some TV show in the past, like the soup or something, where they would play, like, a normal TV clip and just bleep out random words the person was saying, and it was sounded like they were cursing, and, like, what that would be like if it was me, and I just think it makes me laugh. Anyway, YouTube liaison Matt Colville said that just because you drop an F-bomb in one episode, as we said, like, Greg, about Google Ads, that video might not be restricted. Decisions are going to be made on a video-to-video -video basis. And if you have a yellow icon on your videos, this is going to have a better chance of affecting you. I didn't know what the yellow icon was, so I'll call it out real quick. It indicates videos are still eligible to earn money in YouTube Premium, but will have limited or no ads because the video has been classified as either not suitable for all advertisers or has been fully demonetized. And this is going to apply to content that's embedded on websites outside of YouTube too. So if someone wants to watch and they're on your website and there's a YouTube video there, they're going to have to click through to YouTube to log in, which I think could be a super annoying user experience if you get called out for this. And they're saying if you think there was an error in this automated classification for one of your videos, you can request a human review and they will potentially turn it over. Then they go on to say that in Europe, YouTube is going to be verifying some people's accounts with credit cards or government-issued IDs. Like, people are going to have to send in pictures. And I just think that's so crazy, especially for Europe, because my husband's been watching this weird soccer show, and the language on it is insane. Like, I feel like people curse so much there. What soccer show? 
don't know what it's called. Is it on the soccer app? He's watching like hard knocks for soccer. Oh, is he rooting for the Celtics team too? No, he likes um, the Roosters. <laughs> the Roosters. Go sports. So the, I think the real moral of the story is I'm going to bleep one word out of yours, Shep, to make it seem like you said something very inappropriate. I knew you were going to do this that. Podcast. <laughs> I, I think we should make like a compilation video. <laughs> That'll be fun. Of Shep swearing. Swearing. I yell a lot. I just don't swear. What else is happening this week? All right. Next up from Ahrefs, they've launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. And we'll just call it AWT for short. This is a free tool for everyone. So they said that they wanted all content creators to have the data needed to improve their websites. Now, SEOs, as we've said many times, cannot have nice things. And so there was a bit of a hullabaloo on Twitter about this because the easiest and what Ahrefs recommended to get your ownership of a site verified was with Google Search Console. And when you do verify via Google Search Console, all of your Search Console data is passed on to Ahrefs. So have no fear. If you want to access the tool and not give your information over, you can get access via DNS record, HTML file, or HTML tag. So the reason the Ahrefs said this is free is because not all websites are created to make money, but quality information deserves to be found. Why we want to support webmaster owners who can't justify in investing in a professional SEO tool. I mean... That's very nice, maybe a little bit too nice. And one of the things that some SEOs got hung up on is the word might in the following sentence that was later on on the landing page. It read, anonymized and aggregated data might be used to improve our CTR and search volume models, which we use to estimate keyword volume and distribution of clicks in the SERPs. So the thought from some folks is, if you're signing over that data, you may be helping to power a tool. And I mean, there was a lot of back and forth. Martin McDonald at Search Martin on Twitter said, think very, very carefully before sacrificing the sum total of your keyword data to a third party, particularly when their TNC's privacy policy is a copy paste of other companies, including their grammatical and spelling mistakes. Question. What's in it for them? Answer, your data. But again, if you want to test out AWT and not give your data over, use an HTML file or use an HTML tag and you don't have to give that data over. It's just recommended because it's easier to hook up via Search Console. So another, another salient point was from Aleda Solis at Aleda on Twitter. And she said, whenever there's something offered for free, think that there's always an incentive. How is it profitable? Sometimes it's just establishing the provider authority in others' ads, affiliates, or dot, 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 access to your data. Make a decision based on what you give versus what you get from it. And then Aleda has an image saying, if something is free, it means you're the product. And you can see how skeptical the SEO community is. Like, like there is such a thing as freemium. Like, it exists. You yeah. can say, 
We've got great Webmaster tools. You'll like it. Guess what? You're going to love our premium product. And that's fine. We, Mark, we do that all, all of the time is to say, here's some great information. You know what? If you like this information, you might love our product. And this show is free. Does that mean that you listening right now are the product? Are you the product? I don't feel like the product. Mm -hmm. I would like to hear some of the best conspiracy theories out there of what people think that we're actually doing. Yeah, yeah this, is a, we're just, this is a deep state initiative here at Marketing Clock. Or like, I don't really know what Atros would be doing either. Like, I guess it's kind of scary if they got hacked and somebody came in and took your data, but if they're just using it to improve their tools, how does that hurt you? Mm -hmm. I don't I know. And I kind of, I do like take Greg's point of this, like a freemium model, like you give someone something free in like the hopes that eventually they'll pay for your paid version. Once they get to use your free product, they will be more comfortable actually paying for the paid version. Like it's like the same thing as like, if you're doing like content marketing with an asset, like get someone's information from the asset, then they're introduced to you for free. And then they might eventually pay for your product. And the good news is there's multiple ways to confirm your site. So you can do this without giving anything away. And, you know, many, many sites in billion dollar companies might have a product like a free CRM. And do we have any other news, Mark? <laughs> well, speaking of free CRMs, you know, HubSpot CRM is actually free. And as my... No, this week was HubSpot's annual inbound conference, which, which is a little bit different this year. They took it completely virtual, like everyone else is having to do. And it was actually really cool. Like I um, participated. I'm a very big HubSpot advocate, HubSpot nerd. It was actually my first time attending inbound, even though I actually lived in Boston for five years. I never made it out then, but I'm going now that I live in Buffalo and it's completely virtual. So that's just the way things work sometimes. But it was really cool. They had everything pre-recorded. You could go to things live, ask live Q&A. Um, and they actually had, like, everyone had, like, an avatar, and you could, like, walk around the conference, and it showed where people were. So it was a little bit more of, like, a virtual conference um, experience than we're used to. So that it, was really cool. It looked like The Sims. Like, um, y'all were, like, gathering around yeah, certain They were parts. more like me's. Like, the... I wouldn't like that. It was just like a gimmick. Like it was like fun. Like it, what, it really offered no value. It was just something different. And like you could like, people were like in Fenway Park and stuff. It was cute, but like it didn't really do anything. Um, but the only thing like with like work and like sessions overlapping, I wasn't able to attend everything I wanted to, but luckily like they have everything in a virtual library you can access for the next year. So I have to go watch some virtual recordings of some amazing speakers, like the one and only Andrea Cruz at Andrea Cruz 92 and AJ Wilcox at Wilcox AJ. Um, and one of the things I did miss was the, um, opening keynote from HubSpot founders Brian Halligan and Dharmesh Shah, but luckily I've been able to catch up on the news from a variety of news sources, like the likes of Kim Davis of Marketing Land. So big thank you to everyone who's been covering this and sharing out updates of everything going on at Inbound for all of us who can't be in 10 places at once. 
So as Kim talked about in her article, and as was announced um, from a social distance setting at Fenway Park, HubSpot announced a series of improvements to HubSpot's sales hub that's really designed to make adapting to selling in like the new normal, as everyone's saying, easier. So first up, they uh, Chief Product Officer Chris O'Donnell shared a new commitment at HubSpot which is helping brands move away from what they call bloated CRM software, which is really them ensuring that reps aren't spending more time on the technical nitty gritty of updating CRM records than actually doing their job, which is selling. So that really took a big jab at Salesforce, which is the CRM leader. Um, they're really the titan in the industry and their software is awesome. It's really customizable, but it can also be really tedious for salespeople to update. The biggest upgrades that they're making to sales hubs that they announced at Inbound were first that they're finally introducing an enterprise grade CRM. Their CRM has been known as something very basic. Again, it's free, but if you pay for sales hub and your enterprise, you now get custom objects that allow you to create and store different categories of information that are really unique to your business and has advanced permissions for allowing access to control all the way down to the field level, which is something that HubSpot's always been critiqued that enterprises need that their CRM hasn't offered and is like why many people use Salesforce because you can customize everything. They also have sales engagement tools that allow reps to manage tasks from any device, which is great. I think HubSpot does a really good job at making sure their tools are really accessible. Um, they have a new sales analytics tool. And lastly, they have connected CPQ tools um, with different integrations with accounting solutions, integrations with NetBooks, QuickBooks, Online, Xero, and Newbox. And that's another thing HubSpot does really well is that they integrate with a ton of different sales MarTech products very well, including Salesforce, who they're kind of going after here. But one thing that wasn't mentioned in um, this article from Kim Davis on Marketing Land was, and this feature is most important to me, but it's not a sales oriented, was that on the marketing side, um, I'm thrilled about this. They finally made a distinction um, between all contacts and marketing contacts. So previously HubSpot, if you're paying for Marketing Hub, you get charged a monthly fee, and then you're also billed for contact tiers on top of that. And that becomes a huge problem if you're using HubSpot for both marketing and sales, because your salespeople might be importing huge lists that aren't eligible for marketing and they're doing email cadences through the sales email tool, or they're doing cold outreach and login in HubSpot. Those used to be all part of how you were billed for your marketing hub subscription, even though you couldn't actually market to them. So now you can designate people as marketing contacts or just CRM contacts. So that way you're only getting, you're only paying for the contacts you actually want to market to. And you don't have to remove contacts from the CRM if you don't want to pay for them. 
So this is a huge transition um, positioning move for HubSpot. They've traditionally really been focused on an SMB solution, and now they can really work for the enterprise. I've literally seen companies grow with HubSpot and then have to switch to Salesforce and then eventually get Marketo because HubSpot didn't work for the way their business worked anymore. And now they're really combating that. And I think this is huge. I really believe HubSpot's the marketing tool for performance-based marketing. And now this works for companies of all sizes, not just SMBs. Wow, you've got to go every year. <laughs> I know, you're like a sales rep, Mark. It's amazing. I've used a lot of tools and I have a lot of feelings about a lot of tools. I used to actually hate HubSpot when I first started using it. And I just realized the way that company had set it up was really poor. And now after using it with dozens and dozens of companies, I, I really love it. I think it's a great tool. And I think it's definitely should be in your consideration set if you're looking at a marketing automation software. The best thing I think is that it's simple, but simple plus enterprise seems like a really nice match. So yeah, so if you actually have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us here at Marketing Clock or Cypress North or Agency, and we can help you get in the right tool for you. Shep, what's next in the news? So I have some news from Google. Last week, Greg Sterling had an article that we talked about where he talked about how Google was doing more to promote BOPIS, Greg's new favorite acronym, R. Greg, not Greg Sterling. Buy yeah, online, B- pick up Bopis. in the store. Oh, it's, you're saying BOPIS? I say BOPIS. No, BOPIS. <laughs> so this week he had a follow-up article about Google's announcement that they're going to be bringing service attributes to local campaigns. And in, in addition to this, they have this pick up later option for local inventory ads. I thought this was for lazy people like me who like order something and they don't want to go and they want to make someone else go for them later. No, it's for those situations. It's a Sunday. Um, you want to check on Wegmans and see if they have some spaghetti squash. Of course they don't. It's Sunday, but they could have a little icon on there that says, Hey, we're getting spaghetti squash on Wednesday. Why don't you come then? I love it. And you can reserve it if it's not in stock. So that's Bapis poll. Pick up later. I didn't even, why do you even bother? Bapis poll. I don't even know how to acronym right. What's wrong with It's like pick up on a later date and it'll actually say on the ad, like pick up Wednesday. I think that's awesome. Oh, that's Paul duh then. (laughs) Whatever you want to call it. My only complaint is that I know that Trader Joe's will never use this. (laughs) Why? They refuse to do like Instacart or anything. I know they will not participate. They're like, they love the like hunt of you like coming in and finding things. Like I want to know if I can get my soy chorizo and my Greek yogurt guacamole and all of those like other fun things that run out very quickly. And instead I have to go there and find out if it's gone. We're like such a Trader Joe's heavy podcast. But Mark, don't, as a marketer, you should admire that. It, without being in store, who would buy the pumpkin empanadas? I can't wait to try them and leave a review. <laughs> I just don't think you realize the trauma of when I used to shop at the world's smallest Trader Joe's in Boston. And it was like a crazy mess and everything was always out of stock. And I still shopped there because it was the cheapest grocery store near me. And it was traumatizing. I almost got wow. trampled on several occasions. The line was out the door. And it's it's like being in someone's like basement of their house. If Trader it Joe's is, is your small. If Trader Joe's is your cheapest grocery store, you've got some problems. I mean everything in Boston is overpriced. Yeah. New York was like that too. Everything was so expensive. Um so the other big announcement 
about local campaigns is that smart bidding optimization has arrived for in-store sales. There's already (laughs) smart. What's your thought? (laughs) Trouble. I don't trust that. You don't? You need to trust the automation. That's what I learned (laughs) from Google's chief product evangelist at Inbound. Everything's automation. I've seen the store visits reporting. Right. I don't trust a single thing about that. It's better than, I mean, they already had store visits and this is better than that. Like at least you're caring about people actually making a transaction and not just foot traffic coming into your store. It's better than that. Oh, it's for sales? They're tracking it right to sales? Yeah, that's what this announcement is. Mm-hmm. So oh, you I ju- I'd- they bought the spaghetti squash. They already had smart bidding for the traffic. Now it's for actual transactions. And they say that eligibility requires advertisers to meet certain in-store transaction volumes and data thresholds. So I don't think this is going to be, all I think about with all this stuff is Target. It's for Target and nobody else, (laughs) but it'll be nice for them. And all these local campaigns are what Google calls their automated campaign type. So just in general, be careful. Really, it's for Target only. That's my thought. What else is happening, Greg? Well, this is not for Target. It's for all you business people out there. LinkedIn has a new look with an improved search experience. And this article came out on the LinkedIn blog and on Search Engine Journal via Matt Southern. But I saw it first by power listener of the show, Andrea Cruz. And she must know when a single pixel is changed over on LinkedIn because instantly she tweets, oh, there's a change. So I saw it first, so I'm giving credit to Andrea. But LinkedIn is introducing a refreshed design, streamlined search results, and everybody's favorite thing, stories. So LinkedIn says it is a simpler, more modern, and more intuitive design, allowing for easier navigation and discovery. A new streamlined search experience will make it much easier to surface the people, events, groups, and content you want. And then they talk about stories. I am going to read verbatim, Mark, because I think you're really going to love this. I I can't wait. You love LinkedIn. And I think you're going to really dig this. They say, we've also added a more human way of sharing by introducing stories. No, stories aren't new in the industry, but we took the time to understand how this format fits in the professional context that defines everything we do what happens on LinkedIn. Through tests in various regions around the world, we've seen members adopt this format to connect more personally and less formally with their peers and friends. No. I'm... I'm terrified. I think this is the end of times. Um, I, <laughs> I, there are so many people that are so cringy on LinkedIn and really overshare and make the simplest things they do like a lifetime achievement that they need to post about and be like, I'm inspiring you um, at Gary V. And <laughs> I c- cannot, I am terrified for how much more of that there's going to be on LinkedIn with these stories like new drinking game drink every time someone says hashtag crushing it on their story. But I don't get the fact where you're like, let's try to make it more personal and less formal. That's what I like about LinkedIn. 
That's that's my, my biggest problem. But they put these business memes out that are just terrible. And it's it's nothing to do with being formal. It's just for engagement. I, I, I don't want to be more personal on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's like when I first started using LinkedIn, I like wanted to like surface content and like things people were writing and just helpful business things or just to stay up to date with like what people I know are doing professionally. And now like they have some of those like really bad stories you see on Facebook that are fake about like how someone helped this person, like what a good thing it was. And it's like you met some person on the city bus and it's like, no, this isn't what I came here for. I could go to Facebook for that. I know. Well, Mark, listen, this is why I think you actually might like it because they go on to say one last sentence that is a banger. They say, in the COVID world, LinkedIn stories are letting people replace those essential water cooler moments. Oh my God. <laughs> That's I, terrible. Okay. I don't- and no, just I can, okay. for podcast listeners, <laughs> Mark doesn't have words right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this around for him. Okay. So you might be thinking just like Mark is, he doesn't, he didn't have words to describe this. Why would you use these stories? Well, LinkedIn has the answer. They have started integrating unique tools into their stories, including a question of the day that you can respond to with the story. LinkedIn will pose a question of the day to all users, all you business users out there, and you can respond with the story. And you can have a localized sticker for your region. So let me ask again, Mark, other than Jill here, our chief growth officer at Cypress North, you are the power LinkedIn user. So knowing that LinkedIn stories are coming, will you be using LinkedIn stories? Yes or yes? I have no words. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. Thankfully, there are a few other features coming. You're going to be able to manage in bulk to select multiple messages to archive, delete, or mark as read. Um, can- delete them all. <laughs> you can have emoji reactions so you can quickly react to messages with emojis because let's just take all the formality out of this. And most scarily to me is there's video meetings now where you can chat face-to-face using Microsoft Teams, BlueJeans, or Zoom. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the option. I get so much spam and so many people hitting me up all the time. I could only imagine if I like put a Zoom link in there or something, or I had a Teams link and somebody started calling me all the time. Ah, I don't want to see what these LinkedIn spammers look like on video. (laughs) Terrible. Now it's time for this week's Take of the Week. This is a hashtag fire digital marketing take with extra spice served up for you. We simply deliver the take for your consumption. We give no opinions. We don't influence. You make the call. And this week's take of the week comes from James Sepulveda at Real City on Twitter. And he writes, new keyword recommendation in a pest control account today. It's good to know that 2020 hasn't affected account recommendations, still as valuable as always. Hashtag PPC, hashtag PPC chat, and it is a Google ads recommendation for a pest control account where he is being asked to get extra recommendation points to add the exact match computer mouse term. This is textbook 
what's wrong with their recommendations and their close variants. I think it's great. <laughs> I Mark, love- you should you should have taken the week too. You had this t- this scathing tweet thread. I saw Sandra Bullock in there. It was oh, I'm saving that for later. Okay, good. We'll get to that. You'll see that later. <laughs> but thank you. And now it's time for this week's I See Why Am I. This is just something you might not have seen. Maybe something that you overlooked. But you shouldn't have. I See Why Am I, people, from James Webster at PPC underscore Webster on Twitter, former Clocksker winner of 2019. He says, wherever you sit on the whole brand bidding debate, you can't argue with this data below. Greg Finn emoji. 11-week average without a brand ad. (laughs) Paid in organic CTR, 36%. 11-week average with a brand ad. Paid in organic CTR, 72.28%. Data pulled from SA360 for an exact match brand term. So you can't really argue with those CTRs and you can't really argue with that Greg Finn emoji. And for all the listeners, it's the <laughs> nerd emoji with the glasses sticking out. Yeah. Thanks, but Jeff. It looks so much like your Bitmoji, though. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> now it's time for this week's lightning round. Pew, pew. At this point in the show, we split up our content into three parts. Paid, organic, and social. First up in the paid universe this week, first of all, hat tip to Mark Gustafson because we reported this news when he spotted it in the wild last week. But Facebook finally released a statement saying that they are, in fact, getting rid of the 20% text limit on ads on the platform. So they released a statement saying, we will no longer penalize ads with higher amounts of image text in auctions and delivery. And a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on this. We received um, a voicemail from Azim at Azim Digital on Twitter, and he hosts the podcast Azim Digital Asks with his thoughts on this news. So we'll play it real quick. Hey, guys, this is Azim. You can find me on Twitter at Azim Digital, A-Z-E-E-M. I just wanted to leave you a very quick voicemail over here from the UK regarding the Facebook 20% text rule. I think it's a great move, um, slightly late for advertisers, especially in my experience. uh, The thought of having to change creative is really, really frustrating. But... Left field slightly, I can't help but be a little bit suspicious about the timing of this with everything that's happening over there in the States regarding the upcoming election and the numerous eyes that are on Facebook as an advertising platform. Is this a kind of move that is possibly distracting us from something happening behind the scenes that they're working on in order to make the platform a little bit better for us? I don't know. But maybe I just thought I would chuck that out there for you. All right. Thank you, Azim. So I think this does make sense. Yeah. For sure. Like, especially when you've got massive logos and you see that could easily take up a a big portion of an ad. Like, that makes a lot of sense. But, Mark, do you think there's anything specific around that to Azim's point? Yeah. I think, first of all, like, 
when depending on what you're advertising like text might be really important and might still perform very well so especially my mind goes right to asset downloads if you're doing some kind of content marketing push you're trying to get someone to download an asset um, you want to put the title of the asset on the image you might have a download button Every time I've done an asset download, it's always told me there's too much text in the image. It's hurting my delivery. And I'm like, I don't care. My cost per lead is great. And these people are converting down the funnel. And they've always said that. And I just think that they did this early on as a way to like filter out bad ads and penalize bad creative without thinking that some people who are using text are actually designing really great ads that will work well. And I've had ads turned off in the past that have been performing, driving conversions, people were engaging with them and Facebook will just turn it off and say there's too much text and no real data behind it. I think bad creative should be turned off, but <laughs> not just because it has text in it. Yes. And of course, this news is news to the internet this week. But to all you listeners, we broke this last week. If you want more from Azim, he's got that digital podcast, Azim Digital Asks. And I'd recommend either his cross pod with SEO SAS podcast, the most recent one with Sarah and Hannah, or one of our all-time favorites, Anu from MindSwan. He actually broke, I think he broke the news about her going over to Brain Labs. So thank you and check out that podcast, Azim Digital Asks. Yep. And thank you, Greg, at PPC Greg. I think he might be a nominee for Clocksker for like Greg of the Year. What do you guys uh, think? I mean, I retweet, retweet. He, I'm, I'm, wow, I'm really like with you this week. But he has this new thing that he's doing, I think, where he like tells us every time we should have this new paid segment called WTH. PPC Greg edition, because he just tweets at us every time something crazy happens with Google ads, and I love to see it. So first, he had this notification on September, I think he got it on September 23rd, and it says, between 8 p.m. on September 21st and 9 p.m. on September 22nd, an issue caused some campaigns to temporarily stop serving. This issue, this issue has now been removed, and there is no impact on re reporting. No learn more, no explanation, just forget about the 21st night of September. Don't listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm sorry. That's it. And we had this in our, some of our accounts, yeah. too. Yeah, and, and that's a long time. <laughs> right? so it's, a, it's like a yeah. whole day. 25 hours. And you're just like going to put it in a notification. And that was a weekday. Yeah, I don't know what to say. So then he tweeted at us again. He asked, has anyone seen a drop off in available impressions since the beginning of September versus last month, primarily in the home services sector? And he was troubleshooting it with Google. Then they told him they were going to make him wait five to seven business days to turn his ad back, ads back on. We were getting live updates. I was loving it. So then he messaged us right before we started recording and said, have you guys ever gotten this response? To ensure user privacy, our policies require every single ad group targeting first-party data to reach at least 40 unique users daily. This being a search campaign, we're being told to combine our keywords into larger ad groups. I have never heard anything like that, like an audience minimum on a daily basis. I've only heard like your audience 
has to have a thousand people, nothing on a daily basis. And I couldn't find anything online in the five minutes I had to research it before the show, but crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't like any of this. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't. I don't understand why it helps privacy not having it in the ad group. Yeah. Like if the audience is set at the campaign level, like it doesn't, why does it matter if the keywords are in different ad groups or in one ad group? I don't know how that affects privacy. Yeah. And the keywords aren't the audiences. It, it really doesn't make sense to me at all. And you can't so, even see the search terms. I know. It's just them <laughs> not wanting us to have control. Uh, what so are let search us, terms, Greg? I know, seriously. So let us know, PPC Greg, when you get an update on that. Thanks. That, and, the best thing coming from this is PPC Greg's just airs his grievances to us, <laughs> and I feel them deep down. So we should just add them to our marketing channel. Yeah, I feel very special. And next up, Google announced that the Google Ads API is quote generally available for advertisers and developers. I just love this like confirming, not confirming statement. It's like the hand sanitizer I accidentally bought a couple of weeks ago that said kills 99.9% of most germs. <laughs> like what? Generally available? Okay. So Google said the AdWords API is still available for use at this time. However, new features will no longer be added. For all new integrations, we recommend using the Google Ads API from this point forward. And Barry Schwartz kind of clarified here in his article. He said, I believe it launched last year, but had some serious issues when trying to replace the Google AdWords API and Google had to revert it. Now it is ready for prime time and fully available. I I mean, I hope so. I don't use this, but good for them. (laughs) And we have a little update from Amalia Fowler at Amalia E. Fowler on Twitter. She says, anybody else seeing conversions and costs per conversion missing from their column set at the campaign level? Um, Colin Slattery replied and said he's seeing this in his account too. Like he has to search for it or it doesn't come up. I just checked one of my accounts and it's still in there, but this is like a dystopian novel. Like what? They hate us. They're trying to drive us over the edge. The conversion column is missing. Like this is like, I, I can't even report on this. That's crazy. Like, yeah, why make it easy to find one of the most important things? Arguably the most important metric to see. And like, that's usually how things go away. Like it's hard to find and then it's just gone. If they get rid of conversions, that they can't. I mean, whatever. It's just like a Margaret Atwood novel or something. At that point, they should just get rid of themselves. Bye. (laughs) I'll do my double wave. And just to close out paid here, we have our weekly Google search terms update. Julie F. Pacini at Neptune Moon on Twitter had a really just great one. (laughs) She says, my fury continues to burn for at Google ads. I'm auditing an account right now that has four of 94 clicked search queries in one of the campaigns visible in September. All caps. This is unacceptable. I completely agree, Julie. What is happening? Those those 90 clicks are just insignificant. All the clicks are insignificant. It's terrible. And this week's PPC chat actually addressed this. So if you missed it, that 
podcast I talked about before from Anu and Mindswan and now Brain Labs. You can check out the entire recap over there if you wanted to hear Google Ads advertisers whining about these changes. You can get the full gamut on that podcast. I'm really upset I missed it because I was doing inbound things and I feel like I should have been there. I, I covered it for you. So I think, I think Shep and I covered it for you pretty well. And speaking of our disdain for Google ads, that leads us to our new segment where we're going to give you some advertising advice to use on other platforms, because guess what guys, Google ads doesn't care about you, but we do. So this week we have a special tip from Cole on our team. He has some special retargeting advice specifically for LinkedIn. Hey team, this one's for all the marketers out there who are sick of Google ignoring their motto. For marketers looking to do more with video, LinkedIn is a fantastic platform to drive high engagement at low costs. We've seen completed video views roll in for less than a dollar a piece, and yes, that does mean people who watch the entire spot. In my opinion, that's pretty amazing as B2B videos aren't always the most exciting content out there. The team reported on LinkedIn's expansion of matched audiences many episodes back, but for a quick refresher, you can now target folks who viewed a percentage of your video ad Building an audience from viewership of 75% or more allows for easy re-engagement of highly interested users. Pair a valuable top-of-funnel content offer with LinkedIn's native lead generation forms that take advantage of autocomplete, and you now have a low-friction contact option to fill your funnel with your best prospects. Oh, great little LinkedIn strategy there. Make some awesome video content and retarget on LinkedIn. That's it for paid. What's happening in organic? Oh, we've got a lot this week. So let's get right to it from Barry Schwartz at Rusty Brick on Twitter. Google is now supporting shipping detail schema for product results. So there is a slew of data that you can now have that rich results for with shipping, including offer shipping details, delivery time, delivery time by business days, the day of the week that you normally ship, handling time, transit time, rates, policy. And you can even say that it does not ship. So I'm going to go full just bud today and say oh, that no. I ship this. <laughs> All right. Next up from the cringe department, Google has launched a new Twitter handle and a YouTube channel called web creators. And you can check out all these images over on YouTube or in our marketingclock.com show notes but they are trying to be hip. And this, to me, embodies that Paul Rudd video that was going around from New York State. mm -hmm. But they don't mean to be sarcastic about it. So I'm going to read a couple tweets, a couple sentences from these tweets from at web creators on Twitter. So Google says, so web stories are a thing now, but what exactly are they and what are they good for? At Pebacus has the deets, D-E-E, T Z period. Oh man, at least use an S. Then they say, <sighs> Pizza Party. Scott from Scott Pizza Tour knows more about savory slices of za than anyone we've ever met. And he's got the website to prove it. Liking pizza is not a personality. It's Everyone likes pizza. I literally think they, they go to Urban Dictionary and find words and then shoehorn them into tweets. This was another one they put out on a heckin' Tuesday. They wrote, we know it's only Tuesday, but the Sunday scaries are coming quick 
And at Vice made the perfect web story to get you prepped for a solid night's sleep. Why wouldn't you post that on Sunday? A bot just is writing these. A bot is writing these. <laughs> they, they just learned the word Sunday scaries about going back to work. That's the, they, they, it has to be it. They just learned it. And like, I don't care if it's Tuesday. We got to go. I'm so, I have such secondhand embarrassment from this. I can't. Okay. Well, if you are embarrassed for that, they got a creator on. And so Google Web Creators put out a hot or not with the host of the show whose name is literally Justin Jewell, J-U-U-L, like the e-cigarette. And and Justin did a hot or not with the creator and they hot or notted things like the Google Calendar. Here's a little listen. Okay, so now I want to shift into this like hot or not thing since this is sort of fashion themed. Um, first one's super easy. Blogs. Hot. So, if you like that, you can just stop listening to this show and head on over to at web creators on Twitter because there is a whole lot more of that. And it's a whole from. lot more not. This is the most I've ever been convinced to join Moms Against Vaping. <laughs> All right. But in all honesty, I think the main crux of this from a marketing standpoint is that Google is spending a lot of time and burning a lot of calories on web stories. We've talked about this for months and months now, and you can see it kind of leading the way with Glenn Gabe and Brody Clark over on Twitter who keep talking about this. Um, And we're going to have a little bit more about that and specifically discover included with web stories. So where there's smoke... Sometimes there's a fire, right? Putting all this content out around web stories, you might think it's a big deal. Sure, could be the next authorship, but at the same time, it is definitely something to pay attention to. And next up from Microsoft Bing developers at msbing underscore dev on Twitter, Bing voice search is now available on bing.com. You can use voice to ask questions and get a quick audio response from Bing. It looks cool, but what kind of psycho uses voice search on a desktop? You know, it's probably like the same people that circle around gyms trying to get the closest spot in the parking lot. Like you're going to work out, like you're on a computer, you have a keyboard, use it, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're going to work out, park far away. Yep. The people who use elevators in gyms, my gym in Boston was four stories and I saw people use the elevator and I'm like, why are you here? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. There's a lot, Mark. Come on. Uh, <laughs> it's a workout. <laughs> Whatever. I would use the elevator. So Google is also rolling out video appointments, online classes to their local business profiles. Colin over at Sterling Sky, but there's a way you can connect in real time with video and you have to set it up. So they said, though not appearing for everyone, some local SEO speculated the launch may have been premature. And Google's also explained that the reserve with Google program was being expanded beyond in-person appointments to online services and classes. I just think this is a little bit weird when you're talking about, like you're a plumber, right? Are you doing this for plumbing? You're like, hey, look, here's my toilet. Like, what do I do? You know, like, I don't know. I don't think that's who it's made for. <laughs> well, that's what I like to think. All right, okay. Shep. I don't. It's, it's made for pond contractors. Yes, yes. Throwback to 
four weeks ago. And anyway, there's a full list of companies in the program. You can head on over to marketingclock.com to see the full list. There's also virtual class online booking flow, which you'll be seeing over on YouTube on the search engine journal channel. If you're watching this, it looks pretty nice the way it's integrated right in from the Google results. So if you have virtual items, check this out. Also Google's in-house incubator area 120 is launching a new work tracking tool tables, which aims to make tracking projects more efficient by investing in automation. What could go wrong with this here? It is only $10 a seat if you want to give it a shot. And then one of the features that I'm really looking forward to is that it won't exist in a year. So you won't have to look back at all those failed projects you had. Um, this past week, I had to export all my Google Play music over to YouTube Music because Google Play Music doesn't exist anymore. I was clicking on something, I got to a Google Plus link. It didn't work anymore either. And then remember, Area 120 bought Shoelace late in 2019 and then killed it off in April. So don't use this. If you use it, that's your fault. All right. Next up from the story side of things, Google is Google Web Stories is partnering with Unsplash. And I love this. Unsplash is a phenomenal place for free imagery. And they're teaming right up with the new Google Web Stories app, which is out of beta. And we'll link on over to it. It started in beta. We've been using it for a while. It's pretty awesome. The only issue is it doesn't do well with analytics. Um, there's some extra steps you have to hop through there. But you won't have to hop through any steps to get images. And they're going to be great because they're coming from Unsplash. And again, you can see Google investing in stories. Um, next up from Glenn Gabe, at Glenn Gabe on Twitter and BFF of the show 2019. I was wondering when this would show up. Google Discover tests surfacing podcast episodes on Android. So if you're a podcast like us, you may start showing up in Discover. Quite frankly, we get a lot of visibility from Google News, not Discover, um, on our YouTube channel and on our search engine journal posts. So this is awesome. Discover, Google is putting a lot of resource into it. I, I'm, I can't say it anymore. Like, pay attention to the stuff. Um, and especially if you have a podcast, see how that plays out. Google is also shutting down paid Chrome extensions. Strange, Google shutting something down? But as of Monday this past week, developers can no longer make any paid extensions that are new. So this is a policy that was put in place back in March. And if you made something to try to enhance Chrome, you can't do it anymore if it's going to be paid. So good luck. One thing you won't have to pay for is better auto-suggest over on Bing. Bing is using Turing-NLG next phrase prediction with their auto-suggest. So head on over to bing.com. Your auto-suggest might be better when you're typing that out. And if it's not, just use voice like a complete psycho. No. <laughs> All right. And Spotify is adding an interactive feature for podcasts called polls. It is for a small beta test group, but you can do a one poll per episode and gauge the interest or intent of your said audience for that show. I think this is great, but right now it's only for shows that Shep likes, like the Rewatchables and Crime Countdown. I don't even know if you like that one, but I'm sure you would. I've you never heard of it, but I'll give it a listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this will be great to find out if I should get a mullet or not. Okay, well, look, we 
have a quick, we don't, we don't have access to this. So I'm going to do a quick internal poll. Should we be included in this beta? Yes. Mark. Yes. Shep. Of course. Okay. We're the premier digital marketing news podcast. Uh, all right, Shopify. Listen up. And We're one as, of the top podcasts I listen to. That's big. That's a big deal. All right. We also talked about web stories coming out of beta. If you want more information, we've got a link over to Search Engine Journal, and you can get the actual plugin that is official. And there's also a dot gay. This comes from Katie on our team by way of the click, K-L-I-K-K. It's like her favorite newsletter ever. And we'll put a link over in the show notes if you want to get marketing news. I think she gets a shout out if enough people sign up. Um, but you can go check it out over on ohay.gay. And it is a project of spimarketing.com, one of the premier gay marketing uh, companies out there. 67% of the proceeds go to LGBTQ plus community. And there is a very specific um, protocol that you have to do. It's, it's a very inclusive, very positive message around this. So if you do support that and want to have your own custom branded URL, um, that is now eligible. There was a lot of blowback, people trying to stop this. It is here. It is not able to be stopped anymore thanks to SBI marketing. Um, next up, Google Maps gets a COVID-19 layer. Like it. What does I mean, that mean? Not hot. In the words of Justin Jewell. Not hot, Google Maps. Totally 2020. But you can see like the hot spots. Like if you're in like a, oh. a district, you're like, oh, this is red. This is red. Like don't don't drink the water. Or That's kind of like creepy. Like Tracking health stuff in Google, I don't know. Sometimes we're taking this stuff too far. All right. And Quibi is exploring strategic options, including a possible sale. How about you just close it down by now? Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Quib buy. So sad. <laughs> like no one asks for this. <laughs> so, there was no worse time in history than launching during a pandemic. So that is it for Organic Mark. What's happening is social. Well, I really want to dive in here and get into the social news we've all been waiting for. I know everyone has been on the edge of our seats here, but it actually happened. Starting this past Sunday, Chinese-owned TikTok and WeChat apps were barred from the U.S. following a weeks-long effort of U.S. and Chinese authorities attempting to come to some sort of agreement. As broken by Ian Sher, Queenie Wong, Alfred Ng, and Carrie Myhalsik of CNAT, the official statement from U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross was, At the President's direction, we have taken significant action to combat China's malicious collection of American citizens' personal data, while promoting our national values, democratic rule-based norms, and aggressive enforcement of U.S. laws and regulations. Wait, yeah. so it is banned? I thought so, it wasn't. We'll wait so till the next story. Let's, let's just pause. So, Chef, I know you're really emotional, and I really <laughs> want to get into this before anyone starts planning a funeral for TikTok, starts figuring out, going onto that other video app. What was it called? Bite? There's um, a lot. Bite. Yeah. Trillis. Everyone Trillis goes over there. YouTube shorts. Um, reels. So before you start going into that, just remember the drama never stops there. This really is the never-ending story, part three. But 
Um, <laughs> I'm just dying to know what happens next. I know what's so, going to happen next. Whatever we report on, it's going to be the opposite the next day. That always happens <laughs> in marketing class. Okay, Mark, what is it? <laughs> well, from our lovely friend, Andrew Hutchinson, at AD Hutchinson at Social Media Today, the Trump administration actually approved the Oracle TikTok deal, meaning that the app will have a future in the U.S. after all. Oh, thank God. So, but... <laughs> It's not official yet. So a consortium group led by Oracle submitted a, pro- uh, a proposal for takeover of the U.S. operations of TikTok. And Trump shared verbal confirmation that he agreed to the terms of the Oracle deal, but it has not been finalized. So it, there was a yes given, but nothing is officially legally signed. The ban has been extended to September 27th. So they have until then to actually get this Um, finalized, and we don't know all the details, but we do know a few things. First, Oracle will become the trusted technology provider for the app in the US, meaning they're going to be the people hosting all the user data, and it will be kept completely separate from TikTok's Chinese parent company, ByteDance. And unlike we've talked about previously um, on the show, ByteDance will actually retain some ownership of TikTok in this case in the US. What it will have is TikTok will have a separate board of directors in the U.S., and that will all have to be approved by the U.S. government, and it will have to include a former NSA or CIA official of high rank, um, which I think is good for user data protection. That also kind of raises the red flag as like, okay, is the U.S. government now using TikTok data? Like, what's going on there? Um, But that's another hole to get into. Um, and then Oracle will have a 12.5% stake in TikTok in the U.S. and will be the cloud provider for the app in the United States. Walmart's going to take an 8% stake and they'll be participating in the development of the app's e-commerce functionality in the United States. Lastly, TikTok Global is Um, committed to establishing a new U.S. headquarters for the app, which will um, have 25,000 employees, and they're going to make a $5 billion contribution to setting up an education fund in the U.S. I know where they should put it. I know where they should put it. The headquarters or the money? The headquarters. There's only one choice. The bee's nest in your yard. (laughs) The honey house. Oh, I was close. Um, okay, um, how do I end the meeting? <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I really enjoy doing this podcast. I think I have to resign as a co-host after that little tidbit there. You love the honey house. I have nightmares about the honey house. It's, <laughs> it's like Big Brother. But anyway, we're done with TikTok now. Let's just... Forget all about that. It's Facebook time. And we've got another one from Andrew Hutchinson at Social Media Today. Um, Facebook has launched a new Facebook business suite. It's an all-in-one management tool for Facebook and Instagram. Basically, what this is doing is taking all of the current functionality you have on Facebook and Instagram in terms of management tool options, and it's combining them in one centralized, simplified layout that's really easy to use. Um, and they put together a little cute explainer video that you can find in the article in the show notes. And really, they're trying to accomplish three things here. 
One, they're trying to save you some time for business owners. They're giving you um, better um, management tools um, for managing your Facebook and Instagram posts. And you can post to Facebook and Instagram at the same time. And you actually get like a, a scheduled layout for when your posts are going to post. Um, it helps you stay up to date. So, and this kind of comes on the heels of Facebook Messenger and Instagram Messenger, you having the option to combine them. Now you can combine them from the management side as well with this new business suite. So you can get all of your Facebook and Instagram messages, notifications, other alerts all in one place. So you can really stay up to date easier and see how your customers are interacting with your business on social media. And then lastly, um, just seeing what's working on Facebook and Instagram, you, all of your uh, metrics are in one dashboard for both platforms. So you can see how your customers are engaging. And a much easier view that's really targeted towards those SMB and small business owners who need to be on social media, but they're definitely not social media experts and they just need something that's easy and effective to use. Um, so the main goal right now is to centralize that and simplify it for those SMBs. But over time, um, they hope, and this is a direct quote, they're hoping that this business week becomes the main interface for all business, for businesses of all sizes who use Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, and surprise, WhatsApp's going to be included <laughs> as well in the future. Oh, great. Andrew Hutch coming in clutch with yet another oh one. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Jess is, if, when she's listening to this two and a half weeks later, she'll love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I can bring future Jess some enjoyment. Facebook has expanded rights manager to detect copyright image use across Facebook and Instagram. So this is building upon their existing IP protections and the rights manager tools they currently have for video that were first released in 2018. Facebook says we're introducing rights manager for images, a new version of rights manager that uses image matching technology to help creators and publishers protect and manage their image content at scale. Page admins can submit an application for content they've created and want to protect, and Rights Manager will then find matching content on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to file for Rights Manager protections, you can go to facebook.com slash rights underscore manager slash apply, and there's a little form there. You just fill it out, and then you upload the image or the video asset that you want to protect, and um, you'll get a notification whether or not you qualify. And then from then on, you'll get notified if someone will be blocked from being used. So I think this is a great idea um, just to protect your IP because once you put something on the internet, everyone can grab it and reuse it. I think this will be great from people steal jokes and memes. So every time you have a, a fun joke, you put an image, make sure you copyright that. <laughs> I see that a lot on Twitter. I wish they had it. I thought people were allowed to do that. You have to give credit where credit is due. The meme only, lords don't like the theft. Only E-bomb. What is that? E-bomb's world. I went to high school with them. Okay, I'll look him up after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Pinterest has finally caught the viral disease sweeping social media stories oh glad we get to talk about more stories after we had the fun ones from linkedin <sighs> so according to anthony ha of TechCrunch at anthony ha on twitter pinterest has officially 
um, re released new story pins in beta to a select group of US creators. Now, Greg, I heard you sigh, but before you go right to complaining about stories like I just did and like how I always do, I want to give a small, small, very tiny piece of relief knowing that Pinterest stories actually have something different. According to their head of content, creator, and Hope Feed products, David Temple, story pins are designed to show you how people are trying new ideas and new products. This means the features and intent are dramatically different in that different meaning, different than stories on other platforms. They point out two key differences. Story pins don't expire after a set period of time, and they can remain relevant for months, even at a time. And the idea is to save it for later so you can see how to do something rather than to simply like it. So an example they gave is you might use your story to share out a list of ingredients and someone can save that. And then they have that list of ingredients they can click through. It's not Mark, really a story. I appreciate what you're saying, Mark, and I get it. Why don't you just have video? Yeah. Why don't you be the, the maker video site or that you have got design video why does everything have to be a story it's ubiquitous i don't know i hate it but at least they're different it's not like when instagram stole stories from the snapchat and did the exact same thing they're just doing it four times later they stole and it from linkedin just, at this and point then, and then just added it to <laughs> facebook and facebook messenger Facebook Messenger wait. was the most egregious. I can't wait for LinkedIn stories. I'm just going to go all out over there. I'm Love terrified. Mm -hmm. But this does signal a first for Pinterest and kind of a shift. So previously, if you're posting to Pinterest, you were linking off to another site. And this is the first time they're actually giving creators a place to like directly share and upload their own content rather than resharing content that's published elsewhere. So hopefully this means they're getting more tools for people to directly publish content on Pinterest. And this beta is also accompanied by new engagement analytics features that are available to anyone who has a Pinterest business account. Last up in social, just in time for Halloween season, Twitter is rolling out a new feature that is absolutely giving me the creeps already. <laughs> Voice DMs. <laughs> so after rolling out audio tweets in iOS in June, they something no one asked for, they didn't have enough. Twitter is now experimenting with letting people record and send voice messages via their DMs with Brazil being the first test market. That could really be very creepy. I don't want anyone's voice DM, but it also is what we do with our voicemails on the show. So I shouldn't talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And great point. And just for that reason, I, with this coming out, I want to remind everyone to go in their settings and make sure that only people you can follow can message you. So you aren't getting creepy voice messages from strangers, because that was the first red flag in my head. I do not want that. That is terrifying. Alex Ackerman Greenberg actually took to voice messaging appropriately enough to make the announcement and say that we know people want more options for how they express themselves in conversations on Twitter, both publicly and privately. Those options are not voice messages. Those options are editing my tweets. Thank oh you. Oh my God. That is such a <laughs> Please let us edit tweets. 
Voice messages will have a similar bare bones structure and simple interface as voice tweets do, just a play pause button and the sender's pulsating avatar. After the fallout from overlooking accessibility and the release of voice tweets, Twitter's team says that they're a key part of their focus during product development is making sure that accessibility is a core focus now. And I'd like to close this out to say thank you to Chris Welch of The Verge at Chris Welch on Twitter for covering this story and say no thank you to Twitter for this feature. And that brings us to our real life segment, straight out of our accounts and into your ear holes. It's time for Working Hard or Hardly Working, where we talk about what's going on in our IRL work, good, bad, or otherwise. Okay, so I'm having a learning curve issue with um, negative keyword lists in the new Microsoft advertising interface. I like pasted a long list of terms in. It said one of them was duplicate, but it didn't tell me which one. I couldn't see the other ones in the list, but then I refreshed the page and then they were there, which it's just very messy and confusing. So they need to do a bit of a better job. Can we talk about... Can we talk about what people are really talking about? You're trying to negative out Ben Franklin. <laughs> How dare you? What can I say? I mean, I told you I don't like glasses. <laughs> or wood teeth. <laughs> what about you, Mark? I have finally had really negative things happen to my accounts from the search term changes. Previously, I had just been observing the loss of search term data, but for the first time, it's actually hurting one of my clients since this change has been announced. And recently, I had these two campaigns in my client's account that we've been running at $150 a day since March. And both of these campaigns have a lot of broad match modified keywords because they are a startup, they're in an emerging industry, so there are not a lot of core keywords. So broad match modified is really important to them for both discovering new keywords that are relevant to people looking for their product and also showing up for those niche queries. And all of a sudden, we're not getting conversions from those campaigns, even the highest converting broad match modified keywords. And the they're suddenly limited by budget and the recommended budget is now $600 a day where it had been running fine at 150 and rarely spending that full budget a day. And that was a huge red flag to me that something was going on with their matching. So I looked into it and one of their top converting broad match modified keywords was spending half the budget of the campaign and I went to look at the search terms and I could only see 20% of the search query data uh, for that one keyword. Criminal. And I, I'm like, why am I spending so much money on this? And it really sends a red flag to me that Google has really loosened match criteria for, we've seen it happen for close variants and now we're seeing it happen with broad match modified. And 
while it's been a pillar for this account, I unfortunately had to pause almost all the broad match modified keywords in the account because they were suddenly spending way more than they have previously and I can't see what they're mapping to. So we're going to have to use Andrea Cruz's negative mining strategy with using Keyword Planner. We're going to guess some closed variants and make negative keyword lists and have to make a lot of changes in the account before we can comfortably use broad match modified again. And I would just advise everyone else to kind of keep a close eye on not just how close variants for phrase match and exact match are doing, but how much of your broad match modified search terms you can actually see. And big red flag if campaigns that have been running fine for a long time are suddenly um, constricted by budget. So, and, and look at the thread. Look at the last tweet in Mark's thread. And, mm -hmm. and, and Mark, I know the account you're talking about. That, that, that I'm on as well. What right now has been the lowest CPL platform out there? Oh, um, sorry. LinkedIn. LinkedIn has, in the words of a LinkedIn person, absolutely crushing it. Right, right but, but that that's it. This change is going to put more money. It's going to take $120 a day out of Google and over to LinkedIn because LinkedIn you can see what you're doing mm -hmm. and it performs. And we've been getting highly qualified leads for $8 for $8. started promoting webinars. And that's something we didn't think to do before, but webinars have been converting really well from a lead to a sales qualified lead. And we're able to target the right people. And they've been really engaging with these webinars. And we just ended up launching eight new campaigns this month to drive more bottom of the funnel leads since Google hasn't been performing as well. It's a, and, and it's moving the money away from Google. And it's not to say we wouldn't want to spend it there. It's just, we don't know what we're buying. And we could see 20% of it. What do you want us to do? That's why we're trying to help people get off of Google ads until they care about us. Mm -hmm. And they're going to see, like I literally paused one third of the keywords in the account. I, I, I don't have words. I don't, I don't have words. You, it's, it's, there there I, are I'm no like words. Mark from the first half of this. Hashtag criminal. Hashtag criminal. All right. Well, look, look. You have our word here at Marketing Clock that we are working on helping you become better at other platforms other than Google Ads. So stay tuned. We've got a new Marketing o Talk coming up. It should be in October. It's going to be phenomenal. And we're going to help you do better outside of Google Ads if you are a Google Ads only advertiser. Stay tuned. Please subscribe. Please share the show. One good thing I'll say about Google, though, in my hardly working, working hard was the fact that in-market audiences came for shopping. We have a client where we get a good amount of transactions online, but a lot of folks that we market to already have reps and pick up the phone and call. And for that reason, we do a lot of enhanced CPC for them. And because of that, it is an e-commerce B2B company and we've done in-market audiences and the initial results we've seen on shopping campaigns have been completely on point. So we need more data. We need to get to that, you know, make sure it's uh, statistically relevant. But for now, we went through, we added all the different business and industrial terms for this B2B client. And then we started going through and now we're observing the B2C type in-market audiences. So if you do shopping, 
check out the in-market audiences. So far, on a, I mean, it's only been around for a week, but we are seeing really, really good correlation with those audiences. Now it's time for this week's WTH. Misguided. You're like, who does that? <laughs> Just get rid of it. I'm over it. Where we rant, rave, and roll our eyes about our trending digital marketing topic. What are we coming to? Honestly. See what had us asking. W-T-H. This week. This week's WTH comes from Robert Burnson at Bloomberg, and it is a really spooky one. Facebook is being sued regarding new reports that the company was spying on users through the unauthorized use of their mobile phone camera in the Instagram app. Reports surfaced in July that Instagram appeared to be accessing iPhone cameras even when the people weren't actively using their phone, like it just said it was on. And Facebook denied the reports and blamed a bug, which it said they were correcting for triggering this problem. But I mean, I don't know if I believe them. And it was brought to our attention by power listener and power contributor, Andrea Cruz. And she says, wow, can you imagine? And Teresa's story. And I like, I don't know if she's being sarcastic enough, but I think she was like, yes, I can imagine. They're so shady. Yeah. And if it was a bug, you would report that. You're like, bug fixes, install this update. We fix this problem. It's so creepy. And my favorite response was actually Jess. <laughs> she said, knowing a lot of people scroll through their IG feed while they're in the bathroom, this is particularly terrifying. <laughs> Which is so true. Like, oh, it's just so creepy. I hate, I hate this story. Mm-hmm. But if they saw in the bathrooms at our old office, I honestly feel bad for them. Yes. <laughs> 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 All right, and on to our grab bag, our segment segments. We have an uncool tool, and this is one of the first ones that we've ever had, and it comes from Andrew Loke, Andrew, at Andrew Loke on Twitter, and he says, the things people brag about, I was waiting for it to be a joke, dot, dot, dot. And there is a company out there, and they said last week, Fluency became the first advertising platform on planet Earth to leverage Google optimization score of recommendations through automation rules. Here we are one week later, and our average partner has improved their optimization score by 10%. MCC wide, exclamation, exclamation, explanation. What is happening? Somebody needs to talk to this guy. As a practical matter, this means agency clients and in-house market efforts are experiencing better results for their ad dollars exclamation does this person know that optimization score doesn't mean results a b does this mean that it's just downloading the google ads app onto everyone's phones because <laughs> that's five percent of your score and you should be able to opt like raise your optimization score in one minute by just accepting them all and get to a hundred that's terrible okay what, i want a what tool else? that gives me 10 percent less i want 10 percent less optimization yeah. and andrew went on to follow up and he said i even checked out the blog post in good faith it just contained a gif of them enabling auto acceptance of the various recommendations m c c wide Go search partners. That's terrible. I'm. Everything is search partners, maximize conversions, 
um, random auto-applied ads. Maximize clicks. Let's just add in computer mouse, like James Sepulveda <laughs> said. Get rid of this. Are you doing this MCC-wide? Is it, it, somebody, should, somebody should be jailed for this. Seriously. I, I do love that it's a LinkedIn post. Walk the plank. no image. That's terrible. This could be on his LinkedIn story. And now for this week's cool tool. As a reminder, our cool tool segment is not an official endorsement or paid mention. We're simply sharing something we found in our travels that may be of use to our listeners and is really, really cool. This week's cool tool is the site speed comparison tool from Sandbox. The site speed comparison tool turns any Google search into a speed test across the organic search results. It displays Google's page speed insight score, as well as deeper metrics like first paint, time to interactive, and the new core web vitals. After you've searched for your query in the tool, if you just click view metrics in the results section, you'll also be automatically directed to Google's page speed insights for that page. I think this tool is a great way to see how your site speed compares to your competitors in the SERPs for people that you're trying to outrank, since site speed isn't going away as a ranking factor anytime soon. Now it's time for our must-read marketing article of the week. An article so advanced, so in-depth, so detailed, that we simply cannot cover it in its entirety on today's show. All right. And this week's must-read marketing article of the week, I just realized, is one year old. Over from WordLift and Andrea Volpini. But it is still relevant. And he has the ultimate checklist to optimize content for Google Discover. We talk about this nonstop here on Marketing Clock, and hopefully you've started to implement this on your end or on your client's end. But he goes through how to create an entity in Google Knowledge Graph, focusing on high quality content, that user experience, responding to a specific information need, using that high res image and a great title, and then all of his findings there. And this recently bubbled up and became kind of one of the hot topic even a year later. And great job, Andrea, for figuring this out and check it out. But they're really, really trying hard as Justin Jewell is showing us. So thank you, Andrea. All right. That does it for today's show. It is now officially not Marketing O'Clock. Remember, you can catch everything from the show on marketingoclock.com. While you're there, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Marketing O'Clock, part of the Search Engine Journal Podcast Network. If you're looking for more information on today's topics, head over to marketingoclock.com for links to all the articles that we covered. And please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Welcome to this week's Shooting the Hack. We're after our famous Friday news show. We don't talk about marketing anymore. We just... Shoot the hack. And we are bringing back the drafts this week. I think this is Greg's least favorite game, if he was being honest. I love this game. I win every time. Everybody said I win every time. Do they? Okay. <laughs> no. Nobody, he does. <laughs> so this is why we need podcast polls. <laughs> the category of the draft is specifically competition-based reality TV shows. Okay. So, uh, Mark, you can start. I You did the most prep work, so... 
we'll reward you. Mm-hmm. I think me and Greg both did nothing. <laughs> I'm going to start to make sure that I get the claim on this. What I think is the best reality competition show of all time and is really kind of paved the way for a lot of other reality competition shows and has the most iconic host of a reality competition show. Can I guess? Yes. The Masked Singer. No. <laughs> what the <heck>? Greg? <laughs> what? I don't even know who hosts that. Is it RuPaul? No. Oh. America's Next Top Model. Oh, okay. You want to be on top? <laughs> no, 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 no. I heard she's Smize. doing a terrible job at her new gig, though. What was her new gig? She's ho- well, she made she's herself- hosting. Yeah, she's executive producer of Dancing with the Stars and fired the host and made herself the host. Like, what a Tyra move. Wow. Don't besmirch Tyra. Smize and, I- and don't. She also she teaches at She teaches at Stanford. Okay. I don't I don't even want <laughs> Okay. Right, who's next? I'll go next. Um, even though nobody's gonna take this. I think the best ever competition-based reality show used to be on Netflix, probably isn't anymore. It was an e-series. It was called Bridal Plasty. And it was a bunch of women who were engaged and they would do different nonsense competitions every week, like taste champagne to see what was the expensive uh, bottle and what wasn't. And the winner every week would get some kind of a cosmetic procedure to change her look. And then at the end, the full winner got like a full facelift, her whole body transformed, and her new husband wouldn't even know her, she, who she was. And it was one season, it was canceled. Is this the worst list? Is this the worst I can't, I can't imagine why it was canceled. Everyone needs to watch it. No, nobody watched this. But watch, I'm, I, again, this is a draft, so I go across the board. I, I do full spectrum. So I'm going to go with the most popular competition and one of the most entertaining, even I can watch this, my wife's watching it, although she just tells me to shut up and kicks me out of the room, is The Bachelor slash Bachelorette. That is my number one pick. And then my number two pick is I like sports. And when sports were gone, there's only one sporting competition that could get me through everything. And it was the Real World Road Rules Challenge. And that challenge would have been my first pick, but I had to go with The Bachelor because it was the biggest. There is no better competition than the challenge. And Fred on our team and I, all he's the only person that watches it in the office. And I love talking challenge strategy with him. The yeah. real sport, the challenge. I'm surprised you didn't take the challenge first. Okay. Um, and I also thought if I took The Bachelor, people would say it didn't count, but whatever. <laughs> Could be classified as a romance reality show. My next selection, I know you guys wanted to pick this. I'm sorry I'm snatching it from you. It's Guy's Grocery Games. It's the best show on television. It makes every trip to the grocery store more fun because you're like moving your cart around like you're on it. They do such good challenges. The talent, you know, you just can't beat Guy. It's great. Mm-hmm. For my next pick, I'm picking a, a deep cut. Um, I recently saw that someone classified it as the worst reality show ever made. And it's called Kid Nation. <gasps> I've heard of this. <laughs> I used to watch this with my friends and we you were did? obsessed with it. And I have rewatched it once. And the premise is a group of kids from the age of eight to 12 are sent out into the desert to inhabit a a ghost town 
that had previously failed during the 1800s and they were going to try a second time. The kids are split into four teams and each week they compete in different challenges and the results of the challenge decide whether you will be in the like aristocrat class aristocrat class where you get four dollars if you're in the shopkeeper class and get three dollars and you're in the cooking class which gets two dollars or if you're in the laborer class which has to clean the latrines um, which you get one dollar. What is also, this? It's literally Lord of the Flies. It's, it's it Greg, is. Greg, I'll send you a YouTube video. It's insane. And parenting also like so they also like didn't fully equip the town. So the first episode they get there, and there's only one outhouse for all of these kids. So then after the challenges, they the leadership like the four people who are not elected at the beginning. And one of them is famously like a huge brat and it's hilarious. And she just says, deal with it to everything. But they have to choose between <laughs> something fun and something responsible. So they have to choose between an additional seven outhouses and a TV. And they also have a kit of the week and the kit of the week selected at the town hall and gets a gold star, which is worth $20,000 and a call home no. to their parents. No. And you no, also no. get the option to leave. How do you remember this in such pick. detail? It was on 20 pick. years ago. This is awful. Oh, no, no. All right. Okay, well, I mean, I'm not going to beat that. It's Mark's pick again now, right? No, we're, I thought we were doing three. He is too. Oh, sorry, Mark. You're right. Oh, I can't okay. count. <laughs> So my last pick is, um, this was a surprise reality show, also had only one season. And it's called the, it was called The 70s House. And it was on MTV. And all these people um, ca were casted and they thought they were going on like road rules or like real world. And they show up and it's a house that is like set, like it's in the 70s. So it's all 70s technology, furniture, decor. And they all have to give up all of their clothes and like modern cosmetics and technology and dress like they're in the seventies and talk like they're in the seventies. And they're penalized if they say anything <laughs> that like wasn't seventies lingo or like talk this about yeah, this is culture. Fake. This and is a test. They do like challenges, but they're not real challenges. Like they'll like go and like the first episode they go and play basketball in 70s basketball uniforms against a local high school basketball team. And like the other high schoolers watch and make fun of them. So it's really more of like public humiliation. And then the two <laughs> people who are the least 70s that week. So either they like did really bad in the challenge or this like fake. They, this one girl got penalized she for buying foaming face wash from the store and then you have to do like an elimination challenge against the other person to prove that who is more 70s and sometimes they make sense like they're like music trivia and and one time it was like who can eat the most spaghettios out of this bowl you made that up this is fake this is fake you just it only okay. had one season because the casting was terrible and everyone on it was boring <laughs> this sounds awful all right chef what do you have next my final selection one? is I mean, it's Great British Baking Show. It's the best show on TV. Every season is good. And I love Nadia. I tried watching it and I fell asleep. So it's good if you like sleeping. I would say my last pick is going to be something that I actually enjoy watching. And I'm going to go either between Alone, where you get thrown on an island with like five things and have to survive, 
or forged in fire because that turned me into a blacksmith in training. You just picked two. Listen, I know how to do this. I'm throwing two good ones out there so I get the popular vote. And I'm going to go with forged in fire because I like learning how to make things. And it's um, a little extravagant and a little bit rushed, but still pretty cool. Okay, Mark, so review your list. What were your three fake well, by shows? Greg's, by Greg's logic, I should read all 12 of mine so people know what I had researched. <laughs> no, you <laughs> three. Read my, three. My list is America's Next Top Model, Kid Nation, and The 70s House, all of which I enjoy watching. And I, I can't believe RuPaul isn't on there. You talk about it all the time. Okay, I had Bridalplasty, best show ever, Great British Baking Show, and Guy's Grocery Games. And I have The Bachelor, The Real World Road Rules Challenge. And in my debate between the two final ones of Alone <laughs> and Forge and Fire, I have Forge and Fire. Okay, Greg's disqualified for picking two. Mark's disqualified for making them up. And I win. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> I never lie.